Well, welcome back to another episode of the Sickle Cell Sit Down. I'm your host, Paul Williams Jr. In today's episode, I'm honored to have a very close friend of mine, Mason Douglas, a sickle cell advocate. He and I went to college together, and he went. Uh, he will be helping me today talk about how to advocate for yourself as a sickle cell patient. Um, welcome, Mason. It's good to see you again, brother. Go hey. ahead and tell the people a little about yourself. <laughs> uh, so like you said, my name is Mason Douglas. Um, I went to Towson University with my guy Paul here. We became really great friends. Um, then found out we both shared sickle cell disease and just made us even closer. Um, as of right now, I reside in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, moved there right after graduation. I am an actor, event host, model, and philanthropist. Great, great, great. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Um, so let's get into the questions. Um, so today um, we are going to be focusing on transitional care um, and kind of just like, you know, how you, um, you know, dealt with your transitional care from um, pediatric care um, to adult care. Um, so if you could kind of just give us a little, um, you know, summary about how your journey was, you know, when you were going from, um, you know, your pediatric care to your adult care before we get into my questions. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So number one, I think everybody that has sickle cell pretty much knows or has been forewarned. Pediatric care is not the same as adult care. That's just like, it's just what it is. Um, you know, pediatrics is a little bit more hands-on again with children. I think they care a little bit more. Um, not to say they care less as an adult, but you know, it's just, it's just different. It's children. Um, so I also was at Hopkins when I was doing my uh, pediatric care. You know what I mean? Like I was at the best hospital in the world. Right. Now, it was it was different. I had different work to do. Um, so I had to um, basically do my own sort of research. And I reached out to my doctor, my hematologist to see like who they thought would be um, best for, you know, like me to, you know, sort of transi transition to when they gave me different options and different people that they enjoyed. Um, and then I also did my own research and I found the best sickle cell clinic here. Uh, they had their own sickle cell center down here at Grady Hospital in, in Atlanta, Georgia. And then I just sort of built my own general relationship with my new hematologist, my new doctor, um, to to let them know like my history, um, things that like usually trigger my crises and like things that, um, you know, work for me and things that don't versus certain meds and things like that. And so it sort of helped make my transition a little smoother. Um, but, you know, again, it was still it was still rough because as a kid too, I feel like you have more people there. Um, my mom was more hands-on and like, especially now being in Atlanta by myself, it's just me. Um, so having to do adult care, and like, you know, knowing that I need to take myself to the hospital, knowing I need to go to the acute care clinic and, you know, it's it's definitely been uh it's definitely been different, but I learned a lot about myself, my health, my limits, um, and things like that. Got you, got you. So um moving down to Atlanta, um, I know you just had mentioned they have a sickle cell clinic down there. How was um that transition? You know, I know, you know, moving to a different state, finding different doctors and things like that sometimes can be a challenge. Um, you know, when you know you move away from a state or move away from a place where you know you have your doctors who are familiar um with you. But um, how was that transition? You know, before we really get into, you know, kind of like your past transition, because you know, that that's something that I feel like a lot of people need to know when um you know they are moving you know maybe to a different state or maybe they're going away to school and they're looking for a doctor or something um you know how was that for you uh it was different man I, I was nervous like I said Hopkins is well Hopkins is always top five rated like right no seriously <laughs> well like people travel from across the world to come meet 
surgery, procedures done and work with a certain doctor or a specialist. Like they like it, it's it's Hopkins, bro. <laughs> like, right. Hopkins is like, bro, I, I don't want to explain this. Hopkins is like going to Yale or Harvard of hospitals. Like, you know what I mean? Like you just, it <laughs> the don't Ivy League of hospitals. I was, I was scared, bro. I was like horrendous. I had, I was born in Hopkins. Like I'm a Hopkins baby. There are certain nurses that like have known me since I was really born. Like have seen me grow up. Right. So like that's why I was also different. Cause even though I was going into like adult care, it still was just a little different to me because they knew me. Like, I knew they were going to take care of me. I knew they would, like, look out for me. I knew they would give somebody a heads up. I knew they would be able to, like, you know, make make a way or, like, you know, make sure I'm good when I'm in the hospital, when I need care. I'm leaving Hopkins, bro. I'm leaving home. So I was, like, extremely terrified. I'm like, bro, they're not going to know what to do with me. Um, there's a history of a lot of sickle cell patients faking pain just to get, you know, uh, narcotics and things like that. And them not believing people's pain level. And I didn't want them to think, you know, I was one of them type of kids or patients. I was nervous, bro. And like I said, I, I alerted my doctors of my move. And um, they gave me recommendations to who they, you know, thought I should go to. And it, it really helped out. Funny enough, my old hematologist, uh, when she did her residency, one of her fellows, is now my new hematologist. So that's how I got the recommendation. She knew him from like when they did their residency together. And um, I, I went to him just off the strength of recommendation, but I didn't realize or didn't know at the time that he worked at Grady, which has a sickle cell center. So that really made me feel good. Like there's a specific section of the hospital, newly renovated, you know, the whole nine, like a good 40, 50 bed situation, like just for sickle cell patients. Like I don't even have to go to the emergency room. You have the emergency room, adult emergency room. Then you have like, sickle cell patients i go straight there i don't gotta try to wait i don't gotta try to you know what i mean get somebody to hear my story and not like they understand that we have real pain and it needs to be dealt with right now and so that was really comforting for me every time i've gone they've taken great care of me um you know help get my pain down and it's it's been really well i've had a few visits you know you know probably more than something that i like but um i like it a lot bro so it was, it was definitely a rough transition because like, i'm scared like it's being spoiled it's like going to a five-star dining restaurant every day down to think you got to go to a mom and pop or like, you know what I mean? That that type of situation, a little hole in the wall, but uh, shout out to Grady, man. Cause Grady, Grady has been uh, immaculate for sure. No, that's definitely um very um good that, you know, your doctor could have those types of connections to help you um, or hematologists rather could have those types of connections um, that would help you, you know, when you moved and, you know, luckily you were able to find a great hematologist and luckily, you know, they have a sickle cell center at your hospital. I think you said Grady, correct? Yep, Grady, and, yeah. um, and so like, you know, that's great to even hear because, you know, sometimes people really struggle with that. Um, and I know a lot of sickle cell patients, at least that I've known, you know, when they move to different places or they go to school and stuff like that, they always struggle with, you know, finding a good doctor, finding a doctor that really knows about sickle cell, yep. um, you know, so, the, you know, they'll pay attention more to their care and really like, you know, advocate them for the best that they can. And, you know, this is kind of another reason I even wanted to have this podcast to speak on things like that. Um, yeah. because you know people do struggle when they go through that and so you know it's really good to hear you know a story of how you were able to find a great hematologist for your situation so it's great to hear um, but my next question um, so my first question today is what were some major challenges you fought through and overcame in emergency care uh, 
I don't even know how you ask me a question like that. You know how many stories we got? I know. I know. I know. I know. You can just give us one or something you felt like, you know, was really testimonial to, you know, your sickle cell story. Because, you know, we always have a lot. So I'm sorry to, you know, throw that at you. But why would you even throw that at me? I mean, like, I'm trying to talk about the most pivotal one. But okay. The one that that I think will stick with me the most Um this is the one I remember because my mom tells me a story about it, like a very, very, very bad one. I was in the hospital for like two weeks, but I was like two years old, so I don't remember. Um, I had to get like a bone marrow transplant, so I don't, I don't speak on that one as much, but I'll say that one. But this is what I remember. This was like right before the pandemic, and it's funny because I always want to say it was COVID before we knew it was COVID, but like they said it wasn't. They, they said it wasn't. It was just a viral infection. But I'll never forget, bro, like having pain and. It's crazy enough too. I just was saying I'm getting over strep. I had a I've always had like throat pain. I don't know why. Like before I, I got my tonsils and adenoids taken out. So there's less chance of me getting I might get strep now, like once a year, if that maybe mm-hmm. once a year, a year. But no lie, bro. I used to get strep though every other month, like clockwork. The second week, mm-hmm. every other month, like and it felt like I was swallowing glass. That's how I had to get my tonsils and adenoids taken out. Um so one day, like clockwork feeling throat pain can't shake it feel like a cold ear pain pressure blowing runny nose can't shake it i'm like man i get i got chills it's about to it's about to spark a crisis like i already know now forget bro my throat start closing like, i can't breathe like it already hurts to swallow right because i i'm feeling like i got strep and then i just feel like somebody choking mother rushing me to the hospital and i never forget like i'm trying my best to breathe them I'm panting through the little airway that I got and um, I'm crying. I'm like, you know how to pray? You know, you know how to pray, right, son? I'm like, yeah, I know how to pray. She hold my hand because I can't talk. Can't breathe. I'm not talking. And I'm shaking my head. I'm crying. I'm like, bro, like this for me might be it. Like, I don't know what's going on. They gave, they was like, mom, we need you to sign a consent form. I'm like, we got to put a tube down his throat because he can't breathe. Like, we got to force air down his lungs. I'm like, yo, this is crazy. And you know, when we go, they usually give us off rip. They give us like a like an antibiotic, like ceftriaxone, and yeah, then a morphine um, or morphine, dilaudin. Yeah, they skipped all of that, bro. They gave me a drug that I feel like most of the time the world don't want you to have because people then died from it when it's you know in the wrong situation. But right, went straight to fentanyl, bro. Yeah, if they bring life. fentanyl. Something's wrong, bro. Like fentanyl is like deadly. It's almost not like FDA approved, if I'm correct. Like it's not morphine is where they go. Morphine, oh, like you said, nah, bro. Mom, sign here. We putting the tube down his throat and we give him the shot fentanyl. It was dead. They it was nothing to shake my pain because they came in and they asked me. I'm sore to the touch, and they gave me the fentanyl. Boom, bro. While I'm sitting there, and the fentanyl does not work. Mm. Fentanyl does not work. Mm. It takes away no pain. Now, crazy enough, did help me get the swelling down just a little bit. So I was able to breathe more, but I'm still like aching. Everything hurt. Hurting, hurting to, to, to like cough and everything. Everything, bro, to breathe. Yeah. Like, bro, it might be fluid in between his lungs. Like, no, I'm like, yo, what is mm. Ouch. So they give me all types of antibiotic, all types of pain medicine because right. they can't figure it out, bro. And I was in the hospital for like a week. 
they blamed it on a viral infection to this day. Really don't know what it was. This is probably like the pandemic came March 2020. Mm-hmm. A lot of this was probably like November, December in 2019. So I really do think that's when like COVID was like sprinkling around. Like you might have just got discovered. Ain't right. nobody came on. Like the tip like, of it. Or like yeah, you know, so they were still I'm, skeptical about it. Bro. I have no clue to this day. They keep saying, no, they're like, no, that ain't it. But what type of viral infection did I have? Because I don't never want that again. But that is like one of the biggest trifling stories I can ever think about, bro. Because I'll tell you, I really thought my life was over. Like, I've never had a type of pain or a type of encounter to where my throat closes. You know what I mean? Like, I've had pneumonia. I had fluid in my lungs. Like, had that like, hurt. You know I've had all that too. And, but yeah, I've never man, experienced like, that either. I've never <laughs> experienced nothing. Where they gotta put a tube down my throat and they give me bro fentanyl is crazy. Crazy. It's crazy. Crazy, bro. That's that's how serious some of the medications that sickle cell patients have to go through and take. And you know, but it's for pain meds and you know, it's something to ease their you know, some sickle cell patients, but it's definitely crazy when you do have to take it, unfortunately, because it is a crazy drug. Um crazy drug. It feel like like the Marvel movies, like you know how like when a right. or Spider Man get bit and they zoom in on his veins and like show it whatever shows it all in his veins yeah. and stuff it like felt that, like that, like they shot it and I felt it immediately, like I'm like right. morphing into something like, all right, oh, about to turn about into a, a different animal. <laughs> I'm sitting there, nothing. Twenty minutes later, nothing. I'm like, yo, this is a problem. They just gave me the strongest drug probably on the man. I don't feel a thing. thing crazy bro definitely definitely well that's a, a interesting story a great story um and it just goes to show you know like you know sometimes you know you go to the emergency room and you know sickle cell pain is so bad you know the medication is not working and it's just another testimony to really finding you know a hospital that really you know cares for sickle cell patients because um you know sometimes you know patients will go to you know their local emergency rooms and they won't get believed because you know they think they're faking it like you had mentioned before um so i think that's just something that really needs to be worked on because you know sickle cell patients do have real pain and they need to be believed um you know they need to be able to go into these hospitals and these you know health providing places and, you know, get the right help and not be, you know, held back by, you know, skeptical um, health professionals who don't really even know much about psycho cell. So it's Absolutely. definitely a great story to hear. Um, but on to our next question, um, what were some ways you advocated for yourself in the ER when you had sickle cell crises and in the hematology clinic? So you had to talk with your physician. Um, in the ER room, the way I advocate for myself really is, um, I tell them about past experiences and what I think works or what I've like seen work kind of thing. That way they, they ain't even like trying to play the guessing game. Right. Like, I know I'm not a doctor, but I know this is how I felt before. I know this is what they did and I know this is what worked. So I advocate by telling them past stories that always works for me. Um, and when it comes to my decisions, it's just, it's about being honest, really having vulnerable conversations conversations you don't want sometimes but you're like they are doctors they're there to help you so that's how I've like advocated as far as like letting them know what I really need and like things that already help me 
Yeah, definitely. And that's a big part of really knowing your information. Um, so when you're going into these emergency rooms um, and you're talking to different health professionals or meeting new doctors, you're able to speak on your um, your health, you know, past because it's so important, you know, so that doctors can, you know, know how to take care of you. Nurses know your triggers, um, different things that, you know, can bother you, uh, medications that you may be allergic to. So they're not giving you anything that, you know, could maybe, you know, even amplify um, a sickle cell crisis or you know make something worse than it already is you know because you came in there with a pain already and you know they don't know much about you and they give you something that could you know make the the pain crisis worse and then you know you're dealing with something that's way worse than you know anything else that you've gone through so definitely 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 um understand that <clears throat> um on to my last question um, what are some things that your parents did that helped you better yourself when you transitioned from pediatric care to sickle cell care? Ah, great question. And I love this because I genuinely feel like my mom might be the only woman in the world who's ever done this, but <laughs> worked and the doctors loved it so much. They asked her to teach a class on it. I never forget my mother taught a class one summer, the entire summer to uh, new, new parents of sickle cell patients kid they were parents of kids with sickle cell between the ages of like newborns to like seven um there are two copies my mom has a handwritten book she has one for her and as i transitioned she made one for me that way i can start keeping track there is a handwritten book bro that my mom has like a spiral notebook that has everything about my sickle cell life in it from the day i was born matter of fact pre-birth her doctor's visits she wrote down, went to the doctor this day, this is what they said. And went to the doctor this day, went, this is what they said. Mason was hospitalized this day, this is what he was hospitalized for. This is the medicine they gave him. This is the medicine that didn't work. This is the medicine that did work. When he got uh, discharged, this is the day he got discharged. This is the medicine he went home with. This is how fast he recovered. Mason went to the dentist this day. The dentist said this. They said this with trigger sickle cell. This did this. Mason had, like, I'm talking about everything sickle cell related, bro. From every doctor's visit, Every retinopathy visit, every transcranial Doppler visit, every hospitalization, every discharge, like everything. The medicines, when I got in, when I got out, what I went in for, how I felt when I left, how long I was there, like everything. So even when, like when I got my shots, the doctors, you know, you go to the doctors, like, when did you get your last sensor shot? When did you get your last influenza shot? My mom has a book. She's in my appointments with me. I'm still like 15, 14. Oh, he got it. Uh... You got a September the 7th, 2014. Like, but it makes everything crazy smooth. Granted, we got like my chart and stuff now, right? So right. it makes <laughs> electronic. But for things that are like not, you know, think for things that are pre-my chart, because my chart really just came around like four years ago. Two, three, right. Two, two three, ago. four years ago. Yeah, super new. Actually, super new. Mm. There are stuff they don't know because there are certain shots you get every eight, ten years. Right. Like that's they don't know. not in the system. I'm going to have everything though. So even the visits. And then again, like technology, we can't live without it. But also at the same time, technology can really be, you know, unreliable. Like systems right. do that. People be hacking stuff. Right. Mom has a book, bro. And then something actually I still keep record of. Even though I have my chart, I she, she made my copy. And then she stopped my copy, I think, in like 20, 2019. 2019. I took over my I took over my copy in 2019. 
Okay. No, mm-hmm. my mom is definitely the same way. Like she has like literally um, like a small room in the house that like has all my sickle cell information, all the documents, different sickle cell visits, different studies that I've been a part of. Mm. Um, yeah. So like all different types of medical history, everything. Um, I believe like when we, a couple years ago, when we did have to move all the information electronically and everything like that, like she had to give like a lot of my new doctors, a bunch of things. Um, so, you know, that was also another thing that was a part of like my transition um, was just like getting all my information and records into the systems because, you know, obviously I got to make sure all those things are there, but it's just, you know, so important to have that type of advocate. So I definitely shout out your mom. She's definitely a sickle cell advocate and hero herself. Um, You know, it's so important. Um, You know, we really don't understand how much, you know, they really have done for us, um, you know, with, with sickle cell, because this is a disease that you really have to pay attention to. Um, You know, it's not something that, you know, you can just go to the doctor from time to time and they're going to keep updating you like sickle cell is an everyday thing. Like, and so like, you know, you know, when I was younger, it was so funny. I used to be like, my mom is taking all this information down, all these papers. And, you know, you don't really recognize how important that is until you get older and you're moving into your adult care, you know? And so, you know, I definitely shout out, you know, my mom and more than shout out your mom, you know, having that notebook. All the moms, all the parents that's dealing with any child with sickle cell. It's not easy. It's not easy. It's not easy. And and something that I don't think people like consider is like, I think sometimes our parents have guilt because if you don't know the genetic makeup, you get sickle cell from your parents. Right. And most likely not all cases, but, you know, a lot of cases, your parents have to treat. So they're fine. Many parents don't always have the disease that you can, they can, but most times it's two traits. My mom right. and my dad had the trait and then my, they didn't know. Exactly. So it's like, not only is it an everyday challenge, sometimes they feel a sense of responsibility because it's like, your life is like this because of them. But the, 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 the willingness and the love to take care of us is something that doesn't need to go on the scene. So shout out to every sickle cell parent. And like shout out to you guys. You guys are heroes. Um, you guys have definitely been keeping us strong. Um, and I really appreciate and shout out all of you guys, you know, once again. Um, but thank you so much for coming on my show today. I really, really appreciate it. I feel like our conversation, you know, really, um, you know, spoke to a lot of things that I feel like a lot of sickle cell patients are insecure about. They don't want to speak about. Um, and, you know, this podcast is really to open, you know, the door to those shy and um, insecure people. Um, that sickle cell is something that should never define you. Um, you know, going through um, sickle cell care and having to move to different doctors, like this is all the battle of sickle cell. This is what comes with the disease, um, you know, and a lot of us go through it. So don't feel like you're alone out there. Um, you yep. know, there are definitely a lot of people going through sickle cell and living and thriving every day. Just look at Mason. Look at me. Um, you know, we're two, you know, college graduates. Um, you know, we've done a lot of stuff in our lives. You know, Mason is out in Atlanta doing his thing. He's an actor, um, you know, and so I'm I'm about to graduate with a public health degree. And, you know, we're just out here living our regular lives. We're not letting it define us. So just another reminder that don't let sickle cell put you in a box. You know, my whole life since I was a little kid, uh, I never let sickle cell define me. I never let it you know, ever hinder me from doing anything. Of course, there was stuff I probably couldn't participate in all the time. But for the things I could participate in, I put my full 
um, force and effort into it because um, it's important to me. Um, I've done a lot of sickle cell advocacy, even when I was real young, speaking to other people who have done, um, you know, who have sickle cell and like, you know, having to help them through their situation. So, you know, I really wanted to create this podcast so that it can really, you know, be a testimony to a lot of other kids and a lot of other people out there who may not even know what sickle cell is that, you know, this is a disease that's, you know, growing and it's a disease that's definitely not um, something that, you know, we're going to sit down and let take over our lives. We're going to control it and we're going to move forward and, you know, just continue to thrive and have long lives. You know, I plan to live to a hundred and I know you plan to live to a hundred. So we going to get there. <laughs> we going to get there. We going to get there. But once again, thank you. Thank you so much, Mason. I appreciate you so much, brother. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, and hope you guys tune in for our next episode. Thank you guys once again for tuning in with the Sickle Cell Sit Down. <laughs>